Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we're going to have a conversation on the seven habits to nurture Tove in your church culture. So we got some uh, exciting habits to talk about. I know we left last episode on, um, on really the last two, on processing through a lot of the negativity and difficult things. And so now we're going to be on to the positive and what Tove looks like and how to nurture that. But before we do that, uh, we've got an exciting announcement. We hit 950,000 listens. So thank you to our listeners to, who, who made that happen. Again, that wouldn't be possible without you. And so we wanted to say thank you. And thanks for how you've shared. Yes. So thank you. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And uh, Scott, Laura, I've, I've got some of the things that people said. So I wanted to read off just a few um, and announce our 10 winners that we have. So um, Ruth Perry, she's our first winner. She says, she just had this to say on Instagram. She said, this is an excellent and important podcast episode about the narratives toxic church cultures um, feel to cover abuse. So, Mm -hmm. and that was an um, encouraging one. Mark Quinn says, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is Scott McKnight. Um, The Scott McKnight podcast, it is my top, he is one of my top five theologians and Christian thinkers. Um, there you go, Scott. Nice words from Mark. Nice words. Uh, yes, yes. Jesse had to say, Jesse Baker said, I really enjoy this podcast. The Pastor Paul series was a great one. If mm. Bible podcasts are of any interest, this one is worth your time. So mm. thanks, Jesse. Appreciate that. Uh, Shelby Troyer said, my favorite Kingdom Roots podcast episode so far would be women leading in the church with Tara Beth. Mm. Mm. Uh, that was a good one. Fun one to do. Um, and then Amber Berry said, can't wait to read a church called Tove from this podcast. So thanks, Amber, for saying that. And thanks to the many more of you who, who shared. Our other winners are Bob Williams, Joel Stanley. He actually listens from Taiwan. That's fun. Wow. Um, <laughs> Zinya Chan, Bridget Gill, uh, thank you guys for, for all posting. You're our winners to receive a church called Tove. I'll be reaching out to you on the social media channel that you submitted your, your post on uh, to say thanks and, and get you that copy. But um, thanks to all our listeners. We really appreciate that. Um, as promised, we have now another giveaway. So uh, <laughs> if you want more of Scott's books and our different things that we have going on to celebrate getting so close to 1 million listens, um, here is our next one, and there's two stages to it. The first is we have uh, talked with Tyndale, and they have agreed for our Kingdom Roots listeners to get 20% off of Scott and, and Laura Beringer's new book, uh, Church Called Tove. So all you have to do is go to their website, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes for you guys to get 20% off uh, this book. So that's an incredible deal that uh, we are giving to you to say thank you uh, for participating. The second level is uh, we're going to give away three bundle packages uh, of different books from Scott and a resource that I think you'll find to be very helpful. Uh, The three books in the bundle are 
uh, or excuse me, there's four, Pastor Paul, Reading Romans Backwards, Blue Parakeet, and the State of New Testament Studies, as well as we're going to throw in a year subscription to Seminary Now. So that's uh, Northern's new um, uh, platform to help continue education, um, seminary education from anywhere. So, um, wow, wow. It's a, it's a great deal, over $350 worth of value in this. So in, in order to participate, here's what you do. Um, just write a review uh, for a church called Tove, wherever you purchase the book from. So whether it's Tyndale or whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble or um, your local bookstore and you write it on the shelf, or, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, all, but whatever you do, just grab the link wherever you make your review. And I've included a, a form that you can just submit that um, in the show notes. So find there's also form isn't there the something show. called Goodreads? Mm-hmm. Yes, or Goodreads. Good, yeah, Goodreads. Exactly. There's a lot of things reviewed on that. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. Chris go to does all her reading on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's like a, another platform. So yeah, Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, um, and then you could be in the running for that package. So. Uh, how about we talk about a church called Tove? You ready for that? Well, yes, we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. So I thought uh, we could start this way. Um, and this quote, I think, really sums up the, about the importance of a church culture and and why it's so important to have a good one. And um, you start one of your chapters this way. You say, church culture matters as we live in our culture and also into our culture, and our culture begins to live in and into us. I thought that was a helpful way to think about the agency of church culture, and mm-hmm. I wonder if, if, Scott, you got any um, anything that you can add to that on why agency is so true in the cultures that we're a part of, especially in the church. Yes, I mean, I think it's important to realize the significance of a culture as an influence upon us when we get engaged in a church or a work or a school or a neighborhood. Uh, these, these places all seem to take on cultures. And some of them are pretty light. You know, some people's neighborhood isn't that influential because the people aren't that close, but some neighborhoods are really tight. And if you don't fit, you really feel it. And uh, you sense that kind of culture. But um, I return um, to the statement by David David Brooks that we should never underestimate the significance of the culture in which we work to make us into people who fit in that culture. So that's the point is that a church culture is something that we, let's say we plug into a new church, we move to a new community, we move into a new church, we begin, uh, we begin to sense that culture and we start to live in that culture. But before long, we realize that culture is starting to live into us. Mm-hmm. So becoming aware of the impact of a culture upon us, becoming aware that every church is a culture, and that that church culture is going to impact us is really important. It's probably wise to, uh, to make the a parenthetical remark now is that it takes a long time sometimes to realize the culture of a church. And sometimes by the time you realize the culture of the church, 
you've been snagged into its culture and didn't yeah. even uh, you weren't even aware of it. So mm -hmm. and it's not I'm not saying it's devious. It can be, but it's it's so pervasive. It's like water. You are mm -hmm. in water and you don't see it. Mm -hmm. It's like air. You don't see it, uh, but you need it. So that's that's the point. And I, I believe that it's important for us um, to analyze habits that can help establish a culture of tov or a, to a culture of goodness. So yeah, you I know, think that's I think, where we were headed. Yeah, we're definitely headed there. And, and um, I think the way habits kind of come into this is uh, a good definition of, of culture that I've heard before is uh, it tells you what to do when nobody else is telling you what to do. And yeah. so it kind of creates these unwritten rules or expectations yeah. that um, it's like, oh, well, why do you do it that way? Yeah. It's just the culture, you know, it's just the that's, way, that's just that's, the way we do things. We just have Sunday school on in the morning or we just, you fill in the blank for whatever. You wear a coat and tie. This you wear is, a coat uh, tie. Um, I've heard that one before. Uh, we don't have that in our book, but I think it's a, it's a very helpful, brief reminder to people who haven't been involved in thinking about culture to realize that's that's how it works. Well, mm -hmm. Chaz, when um, when Laura and I were working on this book, uh, we be we began to think about uh, the uh, characteristics of toxic cultures that have to be resisted in order to form a culture of tov and. Um, to me, three things work together to form a toxic culture. These are sort of the entry, uh, entry points, and then against them, we form a culture of Tov. One is it, it's usually shaped by a narcissist, mm -hmm. um, a male who is in charge, who is ambitious, who cannot get enough of self-glory, who really doesn't care about people, even though the uh, the absolute tragedy of non-empathetic and non-sympathetic pastors is that they are carrying on a gospel by a God who's profoundly empathetic and sympathetic. Mm -hmm. So they become a contradiction to the very God that they are preaching. But there's a lot of very successful, ambitious uh, pastors who who um, are narcissistic and uh, the when churches are measured today as they are by the number of people who are sitting in a pew and by the number of uh, dollars that are given in the offering plates or, or through donations. And then another, uh, a friend of mine told me yesterday, Steve Carter, that a third, you know, it's butts in pew, bills in plate. And he said the third one is baptisms. Mm -hmm. In non-denominational churches, they measure if you are successful in evangelism, you are ultimately successful. Well, all I want to say is those three things are measures, indicators of success. And success is the primary indicator of whether you're a successful pastor. In other words, that kind of success. Well, it attracts narcissists and it also attracts narcissists who surround themselves with power, people who will retain and sustain that power, and who threaten others with fear if they don't 
succumb to that power and to that narcissist glory and leadership. And along with this then become, uh, comes a third element, and that is institutional, I call it institutional creep. And that is that more and more the institution becomes what is really important. So important that at a place like Willow Creek at times, and you heard this with Mark Driscoll, you heard this with uh, James McDonald, you've heard this with Sovereign Grace and C.J. Mahaney, um, you hear this sometimes with these Southern Baptist pastors, is that they, they give the impression that their church is the most significant church in the world. So the institution starts taking on um, a godlike institutional quality. Yeah. Well, in those, what, what can we do? This is the question that I'm asked a lot, Chaz. What can we do to resist those sorts of things? Um, and I want to, uh, Laura and I um, worked on seven characteristics of, a, of the circle of Tove of habits of goodness. And they, uh, they resist narcissism. They resist power and fear. They resist this institutional creep. And I think we have to practice these things so that over time success becomes um, how much tove there is in our church, not how many people are sitting in a pew and how much money is given and how we can parade our numbers of new conversions. So, um, and this is a transformative experience. Chaz, I don't, I don't know if we brought this up on this podcast. I've been I've been doing so many talks about this lately. I don't bring know it up again said, if you did. I know I've said it a lot sitting in this room. Um, I was teaching a class not long ago at Northern, and one of my students has a PhD in organizational transformation. Did I yeah, talk you about you mentioned this? it, but you didn't go into it. Yeah, we yeah. talked about it in, in the first one. Okay, but what he said, and this has to be repeated to us over and over, is it takes seven years to transform a, church, uh, a culture. Yeah, I remember Seven when you said years. that. Yeah, and I, it made me realize in in situations how much um, over expectation I had in what I would, <laughs> you know, I was able to to do in a situation. If it takes seven years to change a culture, an individual um, doesn't do that overnight. No matter who no. you are and what you're a part of. No, you you're not going to change a culture. You may you may all of a sudden start having the the uh, surface structures that look like you've changed the culture. You may have everything organized according to Tove or Christoformity or Christlikeness or Cruciformity or whatever you want to call it, spiritual formation. You may have it all organized and it looks like this is what's going on. But to change the culture or what happened, what you call it, what happens when no one's looking, yeah, or no one's telling you what to do. It tells when you no one's telling you what to do so that it's tove is a process. And because we are many people in churches and because we are on many levels of tove and because some people leave who are tove and some people come in who are toxic, uh, it's never going to achieve total tove. Um, but and sometimes you may be making great progress and some people leave. Uh, but we, um, and so some toxicity starts to show up, but it, it is going to be a, a process. 
and it is a direction that we move into or toward rather than something that we measure by total achievement. But uh, I think there are seven habits that we yeah, can let's practice. Yeah, let's get into those. The first one I think we have to practice empathy. And narcissists, as a rule, are totally unempathetic people. They are not bothered that someone failed on the platform. They are bothered that the platform had failure on it. And they can get rid of that person as easily as bring in someone else. It doesn't matter as long as the platform had the right thing happening. Um, and so we need, to, we need to develop a habit of empathy. And I, I don't think we do this. Uh, some people do it very naturally. You know, uh, they feel bad when they see a squirrel hit by a car. You know, I got to tell you, I don't. All right. <laughs> Partly because they mess they up steal, your bird feeders. <laughs> they steal my bird seed. And now we have two little ones and they're cute little guys. Uh, and I'm thinking now we got two more of these things. They're going to be climbing my my bird pole this winter. But and that, but they're, you know, seriously. There are people who, who see someone in grief and they respond. They see someone suffering, they respond. They, they want to do something about somebody who's suffering. Hmm. That is a habit that I believe we need to nurture in our churches. And um, people who are good at it need to be given credit for it. We need to study them. We need to ask them. We need to see why it is that Jesus saw the crowds suffering and the leaders of Israel and Galilee in Judea didn't see the same people. They didn't seem to care that lepers were ostracized, that blind people were ignored, uh, not even seen, the irony of that, and that all these people uh, were in need of mercy and grace and they didn't care about them they cared about the Romans. They cared about people in power. They cared about people with money. Mm-hmm. That is where uh, we need to develop habits of empathy. So that would be my first one. Yeah, I, I have a follow-up question to that because you kind of blew my mind on the, the platform distinction. Um, and what I can hear some churches saying is, well, we're still going to value excellence. And I think that's, that's where it, sometimes it gets convoluted is like um, we, we are going to be excellent because that's a value of ours. We think God deserves our excellence and we want to speak into um, a culture that sees excellence all over. You know, they watch it on TV. They, they go to the uh, Justin Timberlake concert and it's an excellent concert. And, you know, um, who's I, I Justin, just... who is Justin Timberlake? <laughs> <laughs> or Celine Dion. But you knew something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what, yeah. what would you say to, to that, that, um, would I would imagine that, that that there would be churches that would defend that, or at least maybe some guidance on how is that a tension to to manage, or is that yeah. uh, something you know, that we else we need to be doing? I would say uh, be careful. 
uh, performative excellence is not necessarily tov. Okay? That's good. The Apostle Paul was criticized for his preaching and oratorical and rhetorical skills. Right? Mm -hmm. Isn't this what the Corinthians are saying? And the Apostle Peter and the disciples were accused, I think it's Acts 4.12, of being agramatoi. The Greek word means something like untrained or unskilled in rhetorical and grammatical uh, abilities. All right. Do you know the names of the people at Corinth who criticized Paul? (laughs) Do you know the names of the people who criticized Peter and John? No, you don't. Mm -hmm. Because Peter and Paul and John had a level of spiritual giftedness that transcended their rhetorical skills. Mm -hmm. And so performative excellence is not the same as tov. We we need to remember this. Okay, I I won't give his name, but one of my favorite preachers in the United States today is halting in communication skill. He starts and kind of stops at odd points and And yet, everywhere he goes, he's had a powerful impact because of the dynamic of the Spirit in and through his life. So let's not forget that the skill that we most want is spiritual giftedness, not performative excellence. Okay. That's That's good. That's good. That should be tweeted. Okay, a second second (laughs) one is... Nurture grace, right? I think we have to nurture grace. Grace has to be understood, and it's a complex topic, but grace is a gift of God to us that is efficacious or uh, has an impact, affective, that transforms us into agents of grace where we treat people not according to their status or to the reward that we will get or to what they deserve but according to their status in Christ, Mm. as made in the image of God and as agents of God's grace in this world, as people who are in Christ. We need to nurture that. Uh, We don't nurture fear. We don't nurture power. We nurture grace. And grace is radical. I think it was Brian Blount who said, when you swing around your weakness, things begin to change. And it's an odd expression, but he's so right, is that when you meet a person who's humble and gracious and kind, you find yourself being gracious and humble and kind around them. When you meet someone who is a feisty, argumentative, look what happened at the presidential, uh, what do we call it, debacle, all right? <laughs> Whatever that was. <laughs> when, when... When one of them smarted off to the other one, the other one had to smart off back. What would have happened if just one of them would have said, enough of this, I'm going to respond in grace, and I am going, I'm not going to be snarky back? It would have changed the whole temperament. Mm -hmm. That's what it means to swing grace in a culture. 
it becomes influential and transformative. What's Third, reciprocity? You know, it is. It becomes reciprocal and cyclical mm-hmm. and circular. It just starts <clears throat> becoming an agent itself. The third habit is we have to put people first. And I, I believe that these are the two most important characteristics of, peeing, of putting people first. We have to learn their name. And we have to learn their story. Mm-hmm. They have to know our name and they have to know our story. Some people can get stories out of others, but won't give their own. But, um, and I, and as I get older as a professor, remembering student names has become more of a challenge. This used to be so important to me. One of my first, uh, my first mentor in, as a professor is a New Zealander by the name of Murray Harris. And he said to me, the first thing you learn about a student is the student's name and the second thing you learned is how to spell it correctly. <laughs> and it was so true. And I remember this. I worked hard at learning students' names. And I prided myself on being able to come to the second day of class and know every student's name in a classroom. And I remember classrooms at North Park where I'd have 90 students in a class and I knew every student's name. And you know, I found over time that it mattered. And here's here's a story. I had a I had a we had a student teacher at North Park who came to me and told me that a student sitting in the front row hated him. And I said, Well, how do you know he hates you? He said, Oh, I can tell on his face. He said, What what should I kick him out of class? What should I do? I said, No. I said, What's his name? He said, I don't know. I said, Well, you learn his name. And I said, the second thing is. I want you to stand outside the classroom. And when he comes to class, I want you to greet him by name. And then I want you to try this for a week or two and maybe try to strike up conversations with him. Well, I didn't hear from this guy for about three or four weeks. And one day I bump into him on campus and I said, hey, by the way, how's it going with that student? He said, we just had coffee. He said, we've become friends. (laughs) And I think this is it. Is this is it's simple. When people know that you know their name, they think you care. Now some people fake this. You know, they're good at learning names, but it's very superficial and shallow. But uh, my my experience with narcissists is they don't even care what names are. They don't even pay attention. They wouldn't know one student's name from another because the students are there to hear them rather than for the, for the teacher to get to know them, right? Fourth fourth habit is we have to learn to tell the truth. Now this is a major feature of this book is we have a long section on false narratives, which we've talked about already. But we follow someone who we say is the way, the truth, and the life. We follow something that we call the, the truth of the gospel. Uh, the word truth appears a lot in the New Testament. And truth is common in the Old Testament. Of course, it has a slightly different world because it's Hebrew. But truth is really important, and we need to become people who tell the truth. Now, there are times when it's not the right moment to come out brutally with some true statement about someone. Um, A wise pastor, a wise leader knows when to use grace and when to ramp it up just a little bit more with 
I need to say something to this person, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I occasionally have to tell a student that if you're going to act like this, you're not going to be able to pastor. Uh, you can't get on Facebook and smart off to everybody every day. It's not going to work. People are going to, you're going to turn people off. And when you pastor, you pastor everybody you've got, not the people that you've not got or the people that you want to have and you don't have. So uh, we have to we have to learn to tell the truth uh, with grace and honesty uh, at the right time and in the right way. Uh, yeah, I uh, like in your chapter on this how you said reading the Bible is not like reading fairy tales that all have happy endings. God yeah. is willing to tell the truth about our human failings, and he wants us to tell the truth as well. Yeah, I think that's It's not right. that it's not like grace and truth aren't in contrast yeah. to each other, um, but I think grace, truth is a part of the grace journey. Different moments yeah. in the same direction. Right, exactly. That's a good way to yeah. say it. Um, we, um, well, we, uh, we have to, we have to learn, we have to learn when, when to say what to say, but, uh, yeah, a, a fifth characteristic, I know we're running out of time here. We're, this is a Baptist seminary, so we, we get to have longer <laughs> sermons, um, is we need to nurture justice. Now, this is to me, one of the major characteristics of the what I often have called the skinny jeans generation and the contemporary young adults are so committed to justice and um, and they see injustices in ways that people my age don't see or some people my age all right those who are my age who never got out of the Vietnam protests are, are also people who see justice like this. But um, we have to learn, and, and calling it justice, I think sometimes gets things confused. Uh, I'd like to call it righteousness, uh, but that gets to be holiness, and then it gets to be some silly things that get connected to legalism. But there's loyalty cultures are overwhelming. They're like, the, they are the counterpart to institution creep. And that is what matters. We, we saw this uh, with several stories about Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald, that what was most valuable was loyalty to the brand, loyalty to the man, loyalty to the church. And things could be covered up out of loyalty. And a lot of people are tempted to do this because they love their church and they don't want to say something negative and they don't want to get into trouble for saying something negative, all right? But justice means doing the right thing when the right thing matters most. You have to learn to do this. And uh, it didn't do any good to stand up for Jews in Germany in 1955. Well, it did. But when you really needed to do it was 1933 and 1938 and 1941 and 42 and 43. That's when it mattered. And it matters in churches when you begin to see something going wrong to stand up then and do the right thing. Talk to an elder. Maybe the elder will silence you. 
talk to someone else, talk to the personnel, talk to whoever hires the people, talk to people. You should have some kind of committee that deals with these sorts of issues. Do the right thing. And I, we found in toxic churches, when Laura and I studied these, we found a pattern of loyalty that seemed always to be blocking doing the right thing. And that's where I think we really have to concentrate. I have it. Now, this doesn't mean calling out everything that happens. You heard a song on Sunday and you've decided that it was heretical. So you go home and you get on your Facebook of 71 friends and you announce to your <laughs> world that that uh, that song was heresy. Well, that's not wise. But there is a time when the right person has to do the right thing. Uh, a sixth habit that we, we can develop and, and really shape a church is the habits of service, of, of serving other people. Mm. And I really believe this is important. People who help the homeless, feed the homeless, who go to the food shelters, who are working against racism, need to do everything they can not to advertise themselves. Because then it's not service, it's self-glorification. Uh, you know, the new book on grandstanding, it's grandstanding. Brandon Warmke and Joseph, uh, Justin Tozzi. Um, it's, it's announcing. So pastors who are working with the poor and serving don't need to tell people from the pulpit that they're doing that because in doing that, it's no longer service, it's self-glorification. Pastors especially need to develop habits of service that nobody knows about but their spouse. They need to develop this and it humiliates them where they go to a situation and nobody knows who they are and nobody cares who they are and nobody gives them glory for what they did. Those are very important habits to practice, all right? Now, the seventh one is, is the summary of them all, and that is to nurture Christ-likeness. To me, that's tov. Christ is good. Jesus is goodness. And that is uh, the ultimate goal is that we become like Christ. We need to nurture habits that are like Christ and that will help us become like Christ, living in the Spirit reading scripture, practicing worship, practicing fellowship with others, and empathy and grace and putting people first and telling the truth and practicing justice and serving. Those are all Christ-like things. People who nurture empathy and grace and people first and telling the truth and justice and service are becoming Christ-like. They're doing Christ-like things. When we start focusing on those things, I mean, how many times do we glorify people in our churches because they have empathy or because they are gracious or because they put people first and they know everyone's? How many times are these the virtues that we valorize in our churches? Those are the habits we need to develop. And over time, People will say, well, if we're going to brag about empathy, I want to be involved because I want to be bragged about, you know, because uh, that's the bad motive. But <laughs> the, the point is, when we raise these things to the top, that's when 
we begin to work into a circle of tov. That's good. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that was yeah. a lot we well, packed in. You wanted to know what the seven habits of tov, and that's what we got. Yeah. That's good. Laura, do you got any questions for Scott or thoughts? Um, well, I do. I, up? Yeah, I, as I'm listening, I'm thinking about the truth-telling um, and the justice or righteousness piece. And I'm thinking of when you are in a church and you are seeing some red flags um, or you are personally experiencing, you know, some, some toxic elements. Um, what your steps are, what your responsibilities are. And I think finding ways to safely voice those, um, trying to determine what that looks like. And I guess probably the best thing would be for a church to set up avenues in advance to allow for people to express those things safely. Um, because I think a lot of times what happens in toxic church cultures is the people who voice those things become the problem. Yes, um, that's right. And, the, and, and they get either pushed aside or pushed out um, because we don't want to hear those things. We don't want to hear, you know, those questions or those challenges. So I guess if you have any recommendations along those lines yeah. of what churches can do in advance to set up avenues for that communication. Well, this is, uh, this is the question that, um, that I'm being, uh, and Laura and I, the other Laura, my daughter, are being asked, you know, uh, okay, I'm in a toxic culture. What can I do? All right, I think you're exactly right in that churches do need to develop. Let's just say this. This is where we start. Churches need to develop patterns and processes where these sorts of concerns can be raised with utter safety. Mm. And let's face it, wounded resistors are, let's put it this way, many resistors are wounded. They become wounded resistors and therefore they become afraid to be a resistor mm -hmm. because they get silenced and they get humiliated and gaslighted. Is it gaslit? Um, so, all right, so I would say churches need to develop a process where people can be guaranteed utter safety to bring their concerns that it can go, in a sense, anonymously to the leader. Okay, that would be one thing. The second thing is, I think that people have to learn to practice tov themselves. All right, then they need to find a pocket of tov. Uh, this is the big picture. They need to develop a small pocket and hope that other pockets of tov can develop in a church and take it over. All right, so that's a second strategy. So the first is uh, for churches to develop a safety process. The second is pockets of tov. The third is the church should have some process already in view. And it, it often means you have to go to an elder. Uh, Willow Creek and uh, my daughter, Laura, found a number of churches that say you have to begin with Matthew 18. Well, this is, this is a comfortable truth for the abuser because Matthew 18 means you have to go to that person first. Well, many people who've been abused don't want to go to that person because they're just going to be re-abused, abused all over again. So yeah, that was never a, a direction for that kind of situation. Yeah. So uh, we're back to number one. Yes, there could be processes in place. You know, you got to go to the elders, but is it safe? 
So I would say, Laura, I think your intimation of the process is the right one. Churches need to develop right now, before anything happens, a process of bringing concerns to the church that can be that can promise and guarantee utter safety and can be evaluated on their safety. Does that person talk and now feel safe for what they said? Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's and it's a big challenge because this is institution creep and this is a loyalty culture that are going to challenge with a narcissist in power and fear. All of a sudden, all these things are coming at people who may have very legitimate concerns. Now, sometimes people have a concern and it's not legitimate and they won't give up till they get what they want. All right, and I've, I've, I've seen this happen. And, uh, you know, you just have to endure these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do any good to say, we've looked into it and we disagree because they're gonna say, well, then you haven't looked into it. Until you agree with me, you are, you are not looking into it the way I want you to, mm-hmm. so. That's good. Well, uh, like we said, we've gone a, l- a little over here, but Scott, do you have anything you want to send us away with today? On, well, uh, um, you know, to Chaz, this is this is big for us. This is mm-hmm. uh, this is church culture, and this matters yeah. to me. Yeah, um, I'm I'm encouraging pastors, of course, to read the book. But the book was written for wounded resistors mm-hmm. to give those women, especially, language categories that can help them describe what they've experienced okay Mm -hmm. the other thing is we want church leaders so your board your elders your deacons your leadership team i don't care what you call sunday school teachers we want uh, a wide group of people of leaders and influencers in churches to read the book and discuss it together we think there are a lot of good ideas here that need to become more prominent because we have too many churches with narcissistic leaders and forming toxic cultures that have congregations full of tove people who don't even know how toxic the church actually is. Right. Mm-hmm. Or the leadership pockets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I'm, we're not trying to make money by selling our book, but we want our book to go out there, to be read. Uh, so that uh, we can help churches form more Tove cultures. Yeah, and and so that's what we'll unpack more next time on what is what does it look like to live life in a, a Tove culture, and um, and and how these habits then really are the means by which we can experience the the life that God designed for us and hopes for us. So, which is in the church, no matter how good or bad <laughs> it may be at times. That's right. So, that's right. Well, again, we want to say thank you, our listeners, for joining us uh, today and for being so faithful throughout the different weeks that we've been putting out the podcast. And congratulations to our winner on our competition. And make sure that you um, you know you take advantage of that twenty percent off deal that we've made for you through Tyndale. And uh, would love to have you per- um, participate as well in our next promotion that we have going. So um, we really appreciate you. Glad to be with you and look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.